सन्नो मित्रस्मरुण सन्नो भवत्मांद्रो बृहस्पति सन्नो विष्णुक्रम नमो ब्रह्मणे नमस्ते वायो प्रत्यक्ष ब्रह्मसी प्रत्यक्ष ब्रह्म वदिष्यातम वदिष्या सत्यम वदिष्या तन्मावत तद्वक्तावत अवतु वक्ता दक्षिणा मूर्त नमः 
first two verses we chant as invocation akhandam satchidanandam akhandam satchidanandam avam manasagocharam avam manasagocharam atmanam akhiladharam atmanam akhiladharam aashraye bhishta siddhe aashraye bhishta siddhe arthatopyadvayanandan arthatopyadvayanandan atitadvaita bhanatah atitadvaita bhanatah guru naradhya vedanta guru naradhya vedanta saram vakshye yathamade saram vakshye yathamade Really, first passage. Vedanto nama, Vedanto nama, Upanishad pramanam, Upanishad pramanam, Tadupakarini, Tadupakarini, Shari reka sutra dinicha, Shari reka sutra dinicha, Asya, Vedanta pramanam, ಪ್ರಕರಣತ್ವಸಗಾಲೋಚನೀಯ ವೇದಾಂತ ನಾಮ ಉಪನಿಷತ್ ಪ್ರಮಾಣ Vedanta is the Pramanam. Pramanam means valid means of knowledge, which is Upanishad. Vedanta is nothing but Upanishad, which is the valid means of knowledge. <coughs> Tad Upakarani and all the other texts also which are Upakarani, which are, which help in correctly understanding the Upanishad. So Upanishads are the source book. They are the Pramanam, the ultimate. if there is any contradiction between upanishad and other texts of vedanta in case then we will give validity to upanishad because they are the source book for example if there is a contradiction between the data given by the eyes with reference to color and something else we will give validity to our eyes because they are the valid means of knowledge for color and similarly also upanishads are the valid means of knowledge for the self and therefore in the primary sense upanishads are called vedanta we discussed yesterday that upanishad actually means brahma vidya or the self knowledge but this text which expounds the self knowledge also is called upanishad and therefore this text called the upanishad the body of these words called the upanishad is a pramanam and that is called vedanta and other texts such as saririka sutra such as brahma sutra and bhagavad gita and then the bhashyas or commentaries written on these texts and many other texts which also ultimately were written in order to explain the ideas contained in these earlier texts or the whole body of literature also is called vedanta <coughs> this text called vedanta sara which expounds the essence of vedanta essence of the upanishads 
Vedanta Prakaranatvat. It is called a Prakaranam. It is a chapter of Vedanta. Vedanta, the Upanishads, is a whole scripture dealing with many aspects or dealing with all the aspects that are required for gaining freedom or liberation. Vedanta is Moksha Shastra, Shastra of the scripture, expounding Moksha, liberation. And whatever is required for one to be liberated, all those aspects are dealt with in Upanishads. However, this text, Vedanta Sara, does not deal with all the aspects dealt with in Upanishad. It deals with some aspect, primarily the aspect which is the essence of the Vedanta, which is revealing the identity between Jiva and Brahma. And therefore it is called Prakaranam, means a chapter or a treatise. So Shastraikadesha Sambadham Shastra Karyantarasthitam Ahuhu Prakaranam Nama Grantabheda Vipastitaha. So people who say, though people who know the nature of the different kinds of texts, they say that a text that deals with one portion of the whole scripture, but the purpose of the text being the same as the entire scripture is called Prakaranam, is called a treatise or a chapter. So Vedanta Sara is called Prakarana Grantha. Its primary purpose is to give us an introduction to the main scriptures. Give us the, to expound the various principles which are involved in the, in, in Vedanta so as to make the student ready to be able to study the Upanishads and other texts. That's the purpose of the Prakrana Grantha and Vedanta Sara is one of those Prakrana Granthas or one of those treatises. <coughs> as we also discussed yesterday that every text must have these four requisites that are these primary requisites or the primary questions that arise in the mind of a student before he or she undertakes the study of any text. And these primary questions that arise, first question is, Vishaya, the subject matter, which the author himself will discuss. He himself discusses in the very next passage. So there are these Anubandha. Anubandha means the primary requisites or the primary questions or the unavoidable factors that are involved. Anubandha. So, Purusham Anubadnati, those factors which actually connect this, the student with the text, they are called Anubandha. Svagnyanena Prerati, or those which in fact prompt or, or inspire a student to study the text, all those factors are called Anubandha. And the author says here that, this Vedanta Sara also has its fourfold factors, which are the same as the fourfold factors of Vedanta Shastra, the scripture of Vedanta. Because this is a portion of Vedanta, and therefore whatever is the main subject matter, etc., are also the subject matter of this text. And therefore there is no need to separately deal with them. However, someone wants to know, all right, what are these Anubandha? What are these fourfold factors in case of Vedanta? Please tell us that. Therefore, in the fifth passage now, the teacher proceeds to tell us what are these Anubandha. <coughs> Tatra Anubandho Nama Adhikari Vishaya Sambandha Prayojanani 
तत्र अनुबंधो नाम तत्र मीन्स विथ रेफरेंस टू दिस अनुबंध अनुबंधो नाम वॉट इज नॉन इज अनुबंध इज अधिकारी विषय संबंध प्रयोजनानी वेरियस ट्रांसलेशन आर प्रोवाइडेड फॉर दिस वर्ड अनुबंध इट इज अ वर्ड दैट वी कम अक्रॉस इन एवरी टेक्स्ट एंड डिफरेंट वेज डिफरेंट वेज दिस वर्ड हैज बीन ट्रांसलेटेड वन ट्रांसलेशन इज द प्राइमरी और प्रिलिमिनरी क्वेश्चन अनदर ट्रांसलेशन इज द प्रिलिमिनरी रेक्विजिट्स सो वट एवर आर द प्रिलिमिनरी रेक्विजिट्स दैट अ टेक्स्ट शुड सेटिस्फाई बिफोर अ स्टूडेंट कैन प्रोसीड टू स्टडी द टेक्स देर फॉर अनुबंध एंड दे आर अधिकारी विषय प्रयोजन संबंध वॉट इज मीन बाय अधिकारी अधिकारी मीन्स ए क्वालिफाइड स्टूडेंट इट इज नेसेसरी दैट टेक्स्ट शुड स्पेसिफाई हु इज अ स्टूडेंट और हु इज द वन फॉर होम द टेक्स्ट इज मेंट सो दैट इज कॉल अधिकारी ए फिट स्टूडेंट और द वन हु इज क्वालिफाइड टू स्टडी द टेक्स्ट और द वन हु विल मोस्ट बेनिफिटेड फ्रॉम द स्टडी द टेक्स्ट इज कॉल अधिकारी नेक्स्ट क्वेश्चन दर आज इज इज विषय इज सब्जेक्ट मैटर what is the subject matter of the text it is necessary that right in the beginning the author must clarify what is the subject matter so generally speaking in our regular books also in the preface or the introduction itself we will find the author himself specifying all these factors in one way or the other what is the subject matter of the text what are we going to deal with this there is a whole index dealing with of all the subjects you know the topics that are dealt with in the text and thus it tells us the vishaya the subject matter then the author generally will also write in the preface who are, what is the audience to whom this this text is addressed if any one of you has worked on any dissertation or thesis or whatever then you know that the first question that you decide is what is the audience to whom this thesis or dissertation is going to be addressed In fact, even when you write a letter, write a simple memorandum. Then you have in mind the people who are going to read that memorandum. When you even write a letter, you have in mind the people or the person who is going to read that letter. So when you write a letter to a child, you will write it in one way. When you write a letter to your parents, you will write it in another way. When you write a letter to your friend, you will write it in different way. So how the style, the expression, everything varies. depending upon the person to whom this text or this writing is addressed is very important similarly also the author always tailor makes the very text or a teacher also tailor makes the very exposition so even when in the in the classroom also when we are addressing the student the manner in which a subject matter is dealt with will depend upon the specific students who are present and therefore this very same text and the very same topic will be dealt with perhaps a little differently in different classes no class is the same because everywhere the audience is unique so the audience is very necessary and therefore what you write or what you say all of that depends upon the audience to whom the writing or saying is addressed that is called adhikari and what is the subject matter is also clarified that is called vishaya then prayojanam prayojanam means purpose what is the purpose of studying this text or what is the purpose or the goal that we will achieve as a result of study of this text 
Suppose Vishaya is subject matter of Vedanta is Jiva Brahmaikya, revealing the true nature of the self, revealing the identity between the self and Brahma, or revealing the fact that the self is limitless. That is what Vedanta addresses themselves to. Suppose I study there, I gain that knowledge, Prayojanam, what purpose of my life would be served? Naturally that question arises. In fact, before we undertake any smallest task, the question that we ask is why? What's the purpose? Please do this thing. Why should I do it? What is in it for me? This question always remains. Whether we do something or don't do something, this question always remains in our mind. What is in it for me? Tim, please do this. Why should I do it? What am I going to get by this? Oh, you will help somebody. Okay. Why should I help somebody? So you will be satisfied. You will be happy. Or you will get punya. You will get virtue. Some merit. Something like that. We will always see some benefit. So what is the benefit of gaining this knowledge? That is called prayojanam. What purpose of my life is it going to serve? Or what even temporary purpose it is going to serve? Prayojanam. It's very important to mention that. And another factor is called sammanda. A very interesting factor. Sammanda means connection. So we also want to know what is the connection. What kind of connection? What, is the, what are the various kinds of connections? What connection is there between the student and the text? What connection is there between the text and the, sub, and the result of the text? Suppose Jiva Brahma Ikya or identity of Jiva and Brahma is the subject matter. Prayojan is moksha, liberation. Okay, then what is the relationship between this knowledge, which is the vishaya, the subject matter, and moksha, which is the purpose? What is the relationship between moksha and knowledge? After gaining the knowledge, is it necessary that we should do something to become liberated? And this is where Vedanta differs from what we call Karmakanda, the earlier portion. Karmakanda is the portion of the Vedas dealing with rituals. There also you study the text and you gain the knowledge about various rituals. Various rituals which are the means for attainment of various ends, such as heavens, such as wealth, such as sun. Various, this worldly and otherworldly ends can be achieved by performance of various rituals. Then the question is, all right, we study the Karmakanda, we gain the knowledge of these various rituals. What is the relationship between that knowledge and attainment of Svarga, which is prayojana of the purpose? The connection is, after gaining the knowledge of rituals, you must actually perform the ritual, and then alone the purpose will be served. For example, knowing how to make a cake, how to make ice cream, how to make these things. It is not enough that I know how to make the cake, but I should actually make it and then alone I will be able to enjoy it. How to cook rice? It is not only enough to know how to cook rice, I must actually cook them, then alone my hunger can be appeased. So purpose of knowing about food is to appease the hunger, but knowledge itself is not the means. Knowledge is a means for performance of action, and action becomes a means for attainment of the purpose. So there is a link. In case of knowledge pertaining to actions or rituals, knowledge should be followed by actual performance of action, and then alone the result can be obtained. 
Similarly also the question arises that after gaining the knowledge of Upanishads or Vedanta, what should we do in order to gain liberation? Is it necessary that we should do something with this knowledge to gain liberation? Then the Vedantins will answer, no. This knowledge itself is a means of liberation. The means and the end are one. In case of Karmakanda, the means is different from the end. Knowledge is different from heavens because the link in terms of performance of action is involved. Here, no action has to be performed, nothing has to be done with the knowledge. The very knowledge liberates me. So this is liberating knowledge or releasing knowledge. Knowledge itself brings about release. Knowledge itself brings about liberation. Why is it so? Because the bondage is a product of ignorance. There's no real bondage. If Atma or the Self is really bound, really tied, then you must do something in order to release the Self. But Atma or the Self is not tied. You must have heard the story from Swamiji, the story about the cow. You know, here is a disciple and a teacher. So Guru and Shishya, they were living in forest, in a hut. So the role of this disciple was to study from the teacher and serve him. It seems that they have four cows with them. And one of the duties of this disciple was to take these cows every morning for grazing and then bring them back sometime in the afternoon, tie the cows again, and this is what. So there were four cows, there were four ropes, and the cows will be tied to the post with the ropes. One evening when the boy returned, he found that one of the ropes was missing. He could tie three cows with the ropes all right, but he had nothing to tie the fourth cow. And therefore he was concerned. What will happen to the cow? The cow will run away. And therefore he could not, he was restless. And the night came, he could not sleep because he was concerned that the cow will perhaps walk away. Therefore he went to his guru and informed him that one of the ropes is missing and therefore I don't know what to do with the cow, how to make sure that the cow does not go away. And the teacher says, don't worry, go and tie the cow. The disciple says, it's okay, but where is the rope? How can I tie the cow? He says, don't worry, do as I tell you to do. As you tie the cow every day, go and tie this cow. This Shishya, the disciple, could not understand. He said, anyway, the Guru is asking me to do, so let me do that. So he went there and just made motions of tying the cow. There was no real rope, but he made same kind of motions that he used to do every day and as though tied the cow. And to his utter surprise, the cow became quiet and it was standing there and it sat there for the whole night. Surprising. Next morning, Again, now the time came for him to take these cows for grazing. He untied those three cows who were tied with a rope. So the fourth cow was not tied. He expected that fourth cow to start walking anyway. But the cow would not walk. And therefore again he was flabbergasted. He went to the teacher again and reported, Look, this cow is not moving. The teacher says, Did you untie the cow? So it's very question of untying. I have not tied the cow to begin with says, no, no, go and untie the cow. Again the boy went, he made the same kind of motions or gestures as though he was untying the cow. And to his utter surprise, the cow started walking. 
So this is how the cow was tied and untied. How was it tied? The tying or the bondage of the cow also was what? It was merely a, a notion on the part of the cow that I am tied and another notion on the part of the cow that I am untied. So similar to this bondage of the cow is the bondage of the self or the Atma. That there is only a notion or a sense that I am tied, that I am bound, that I am limited. That it is not really so. Self cannot be tied. It is all pervasive. It is subtler than the subtlest. It is unattached, unconnected. There is nothing that can bind the self. Self is not something that is merely confined to the body. It is not a small entity. It, its dimension, we say, yesterday, Akhiladharam. It is in fact the substratum of the whole creation. It supports the whole creation. Who can tie the self? And still everyone has this notion that I am a limited being, I am a man, I am woman, I am good, I am bad, I am successful, I am failure, and whatever. Why? Because of ignorance. Ignorance which brings about an identification with the body, and thus all these notions are created, and the bondage is purely a notion. This is the thesis of Vedanta. What's the nature of liberation? Just removal of this notion. That's the reason why the word Upanishads, all they do is to remove these notions. All the various notions that we entertain about ourselves, they alone mind us. What makes us sad? What makes us unhappy? What makes us restrained and suffocated in life? Our various notions or complexes that we entertain about our own self. The moment I am free from complexes, that moment I experience freedom. In deep sleep state there is no complex at all or I have no bondage. As soon as I wake up again, there is an identification of the body and my personality, and that takes hold of me, and I feel bound or limited. Therefore here, since Atma or the Self is not really bound, that bondage is a notion born of ignorance, and therefore it is a knowledge of the true nature of the Atma which releases, and here therefore the knowledge is the very means as well as the end. Therefore the beauty about this thing, as you even learn, you feel released. It is not that release will come someday, that someday you will be released. As you even listen to this, and as you even understand, and to the extent that you understand, to that extent you become free from this notion, and to that extent you find a release. Constantly it's a releasing knowledge. So, the samandha, the connection that the knowledge has with liberation is, knowledge is liberation. Knowledge and liberation are not separated by any distance, I mean, by in time or place or activity, that liberation immediately follows the knowledge. Jnanam labdhva param shantim achirenadhi gachari. Having gained the knowledge, one attains the param shantim, the ultimate peace. Param shantim, that the, uh, one attains the peace, param, the, the, the supreme or the limitless peace, or unconditional peace one attains as a result of gaining this knowledge. So knowledge gives you peace. What is peace? Freedom from conflict. Peace does not mean absence of thought. Peace means absence of conflict, absence of complexes, absence of any kind of reactions. This knowledge makes us free from reactions, complexes, conflicts, and that is how even gets established in peace. So therefore, samandha, or the connection, is very important to understand. 
Otherwise, the mind always will think that I must first gain this knowledge and then I should go to Himalayas and do something with the knowledge in order to be liberated. That's not the case. And when we understand this, what is the attitude towards the knowledge? That I know that this knowledge itself is a means for liberation and therefore I don't look for anything else. Knowledge itself is what I want. <coughs> so, Tatra Anumandho Nama Adhikari Vishaya Sammandha Prayojanani Adhikari, the qualified student, Vishaya, the subject matter, Sammandha, the connection, and Prayojana, the purpose. These are, for these four factors are called Anubandha. Purusham Anubandhati. These are the four factors which bind or tie this person with the text. When these four factors are there, that I am connected to the text, or I am tied to the text, or svadhyanena prerayadi, those are the four factors which actually prompt a person to study the text. <coughs> okay, then the author now proceeds to explain in the same order, Adhikari, Vishaya, Sammandha, Prayojana. In the same order, now the author proceeds to explain each one of these terms. Who is Adhikari? Who is the fit student for study of Vedanta? Vishaya, what is the subject matter? Sammandha, what is the connection? Prayojanam, what is the purpose to achieve? These four factors, the author himself proceeds to explain now. Says in the sixth passage, First explain Adhikari. Adhikari tu Vidhivata Adhita Veda Vedangatvena Apatataha Adhigata Akhila Vedartha Asmin janmani janmantareva kamya nishidha varjana puras. Prayaschitta Upasana Anushthanena Nirgata Nikhila Kalmashataya Nitanta Nirmala Swantaha Sadhana Chatushtaya Sampanna Pramata. It's a long description. Adhikari. Who is the competent student? Such a long description. Adhikari is, the last word is Pramata. So final. Adhikari is Pramata. Pramata means an intelligent person. Svatmayathatma jignasuhu, one who is desirous of knowing the nature of the self. Sadachara yuktaha, one whose conduct in the life, one whose conduct in life is uh, one who conducts himself properly. Sadachara. 
meaning one who follows the path of merit. <coughs> or one who is well versed with reference to the various modes of life, how to perform the one's duties here and hereafter. So this conscientious, intelligent, discriminative person is called Pramata. And this person is Adhikari. He is the one who is a competent student. How did he become a competent student? Now we want to know, all right, a given person is a competent student who possesses certain qualifications, certain disposition of mind, that is a competent student. If you see the word, last but one word, it says, sadhana chatushtaya sampannaha. So who is a competent student? Sadhana chatushtaya sampannaha. Sampannaha, one who is endowed with Sadhana Chatushta, the fourfold qualifications. So Adhikari, the competent student for Vedanta is the one who is endowed with the fourfold qualifications, which will be subsequently described. What are the fourfold qualifications? The author himself will describe. Viveka, Vairagya, Samadhi Shatka Sampattihi, Mumukshutvam. Viveka means discrimination between the permanent and impermanent. Vairagya, that is passion towards the impermanent and a desire for the permanent. Samadhi Shatka Sampattihi, what we call a maturity of the mind, an abiding mind, a mind that is focused mind, and Mumukshutvam, a keen desire for liberation. So these are the fourfold qualifications. One who has these fourfold qualifications is the competent student to study Vedanta. In fact, all the qualifications can be reduced to one qualification, and that is what? The keen desire to know. That's all. Mumukshutvam. A keen desire to be liberated. Not only a keen desire to be liberated, but a keen desire to know. Which also shows a certain maturity on the part of the student that the student understands that knowledge is the means of liberation. Everyone is interested in becoming free. Everyone is, wants to be liberated from the bondage and the sense of smallness and limitation. But a person should have that maturity or understanding that I can become free from the smallness only when I gain the knowledge. And therefore, that mumukshutram or the desire for freedom gets transformed to the desire for knowledge. So who is a competent student to learn? The one who is interested in learning. That's all. Simple. But then that interest or a keen desire to learn just does not arise because the mind has many distractions. There are many attractions and fascinations and distractions in the mind and therefore that commitment to learning does not come. One is totally committed to knowledge he is a fit student or competent student to learn, but that commitment to knowledge does not come because there are so many other commitments which become obstacles to this, which we will discuss as we go along. And therefore, that mumukshutram or the, uh, the keen desire to be liberated or the keen desire for knowledge will only arise in a certain kind of a mind. That mind is called samadhi shatka sampannam manaha, the mind which is possessed of the sixfold Disposition, shama, dhamma, etc. We will discuss that. And that will be possible only when there is vairagya or dispassion. And that will be possible only when 
that is viveka or discrimination. We will discuss that. In short, the person who possesses these qualifications to some measure, if not to the total measure, but to some measure also if a student possesses these qualifications, then that student becomes a fit student to study the Vedanta. <coughs> when would these kind of qualifications arise? The word before says, Nitanta Nirmala Swantaha. Nitanta Nirmala Swantaha. Nitantam Atyantam Nirmalam Swacham Swantam Antahkaranam Yasyasaha Nitanta Nirmala Swantaha. There are Sanskrit words, Swantaha. Swantaha means Swantaha, Antahkaranam, the mind. Swantaha means the mind. What's the, so, what is the, what kind of mind does this student possess? Nirmalam, Swacham. Transparent mind one possesses. One who possesses a clean mind, a neat mind, a pure mind or a transparent mind. One person is transparent. What is transparent? Transparent is there where there are no angularities. The mind that is pure, devoid of likes and dislikes. Devoid of angularities. Nitanta nirmala swantaha. One whose mind has become totally pure. <coughs> he is the qualified student. So pramata, the one who is desirous of learning. When can he be? Sadhana chatushtha sampannaha. When he is possessed of the fourfold qualifications. When would that be? Nitanta nirmala swantaha. When the heart is completely purified of all the impurities. What are the impurities in the heart? They can be briefly classified as raga and dvesha, as likes and dislikes. These various reactions. The anger, kamaha, krodaha, lobaha. Lust, anger, greed. These are what we call the impurities of the mind. Why do we call them impurities? Because they are a distraction to the mind. When there is lust in the mind, when there is greed in the mind, when there is anger in the mind, then the mind cannot be abiding. Mind cannot be focused. That mind is going to be distracted mind. And therefore, these are called the impurities. Kama, Krodha, Lobha. Kama means lust or passion. Krodha means anger. Lobha means greed. And then many other things that arise from these three, these are known as impurities of the mind. They are also known as ripuhu. They are also known as enemies. When these fellows are there in the mind, then the mind is not in our control. Mind is in the control of these enemies. Never, all that we require is mind should be available to us. Mind should be in our control. Which means that it should be released from the control of these other fellows. Who are the fellows? Kama, the lust or the desire, krodha, the anger, lova, the greed. And so usually they control the mind. When the mind is released from their control and becomes a abiding mind, mind comes in my own control, that would be what we call a pure or a clean mind, a transparent mind. Imagine a transparent personality. Water is pure when it is transparent. Similarly also the mind is pure when it is transparent. Something inside 
something else outside, these impurities are not there. Or the one that is clear, and therefore there are no reactions, no angularities, no uh, uh, no complexes. So that is called pure or uh, transparent mind. So nitanta nirmalasvanta. <coughs> well, that is a very beautiful arrangement of these expressions. There is what we call a hetu hetu madhava or a cause and effect relationship. That every expression becomes the cause for the following expression. So, pramada is adhikari. Why? Because sadhana chatushya sampanna. Why is it? Nitanda nirmala svantaha. Because he is one who possesses an absolutely pure mind. Nirgata nikhila kalmashataya. Because all the kalmasha, kalmasha means the obstacles, the sins. Why, why are there likes and dislikes in our mind? Why is there this greed and anger and passion, etc., and all of these? Why are these things there? We say that they are the products of past sins or past improper actions. Therefore, they are called kalmasha. Nirgata Nikhila Kalmasataya. So what happens is, very often because we come into the sway of our own fascinations, attractions, etc., we do things that go against our own interest, which we don't realize right now. But what we find today is obstacles in our own mind. We find that our own mind is our enemy as though, or is, is actually what bothers us the most. And what is the reason why these obstacles are there in the mind? We say that what we ourselves did in the past, which at that time was done because we thought that it is for our own well-being, those very same things today become the obstacles. <coughs> because proper values were not followed, because the righteousness was not followed, whatever it is. And therefore, Whatever wrong or unrighteous or unmeritorious actions were performed, wherever in the past I violated the harmony of life, those very violations that I may have deliberately done, they become the obstacles today. So interestingly enough, Vedanta requires us to take the total responsibility of our own self. They do not like the idea that we blame somebody else for the difficulties that we are having. That I have certain fears and complexes and difficulties and sadness, etc. in my mind. And generally speaking, there is a tendency in the part of the person to look elsewhere and blame somebody else for the difficulties that I have been having. Says, no, nobody is to be blamed. Even you are not to be blamed. Nobody else is to be blamed for whatever difficulties you are having in your mind. It is the actions which are performed in the past, which today, by way of the result, appear to be obstacles. And therefore, we take the owner, we own up the responsibility of what difficulties we have, and then we proceed to deal with them. Anyway, so nirgata nikhila kalmashataya. The mind has become pure because all the impurities have been removed. And that is going to require a deliberate effort on the part of everyone. 
So we have to make a deliberate effort to really become qualified for Vedanta. When are we qualified? When we acquire those qualifications. When can we acquire the qualifications? When our mind has become pure or transparent. When will the mind become pure when the impurities are removed? Nicely enough, purity is the nature of the mind. Just as purity or transparency is the nature of water. And if you find that water is muddy, water is impure or unclean, then that mud or impurity or dirt has been added to the water, meaning is foreign to the water, not the nature of water. And similarly also, purity or transparency is the nature of our mind. And impurities are extraneous factors, foreign elements, which have been somehow imposed upon the mind on account of what we might call the action that we performed in the past in violation of the harmony of life. And just as it is possible to clean the water by filtering the impurities, so also it is possible to clean the mind by filtering the impurities. Because cleanliness or purity is the nature of mind. And that's the beautiful thing. That we should know what is my true nature, what's the true nature of my mind? Purity. That I am pure by nature. Not only Atma or the Self is pure by nature, even the mind also is pure by nature. And everybody's mind is pure by nature. Impurity is something that is extraneous, is foreign, and therefore it can be removed. Had it been the nature of mind, you can never remove that. Like heat is the nature of fire, you can never separate heat from fire. But heat is not the nature of water and therefore you can cool down the water. Similarly also impurity is not the nature of the mind and therefore we can remove the impurities. Nirgata nikhila kalmasata. All the kalmasha, kalmasha means all the impurities are removed. <coughs> How are the impurities removed? What is the, what is the method? It is said here, nitya, naimittaka, prayasitta, upasana, anushthanena. There is a program. What is the program of purifying our mind? The program is given by the Vedas. Nitya, Naimitrika, Prayaschitta, Upasana, Anushthanena. By Anushthanam, by the performance of Nitya Karma, Naimitrika Karma, Prayaschitta Karma and Upasana. <coughs> this also you must have heard, Nitya Karma, daily obligatory duties. Naimitrika Karma, incidental or occasional obligatory duties. Then prayasitta karma. Prayasitta karma are performed specifically in order to uh, uh, in order to nullify or neutralize the negative effect. <coughs> so nitya, naimittaka, and prayasitta. Prayasitta means the expiatory rites that they perform in order to neutralize some of the negative effect. <coughs> and upasana. Upasana means worship. So therefore the scriptures give us a program in our life in order to purify our mind, in order to remove the impurities from the mind. It's not merely talking about it, or not merely even analyzing it, but doing something about it. So even though there were no therapists in the olden days, or this kind of consultants were not there, the problems were there. 
whatever problems we are having today with reference to our mind, similar problems existed all the time in all the societies, in one form or the other, they always are there. But here, the Vedas, the scriptures in India gave us a beautiful program. Perform your daily obligatory duties. This is what we call, and that discussion also will come, that everybody has certain duties. Everybody has certain duties means the action that must be performed because I enjoy a certain place in life. I enjoy certain privileges. Everyone in the life enjoys certain privileges. And when we enjoy privileges, we must always return or repay the enjoyment of privileges by way of participation or by way of performance of the duties. In this life we enjoy various privileges. What privilege do we enjoy? That there is air which I breathe, that's a privilege. There is water that I drink, that's a privilege. There's a food that I eat, that's a privilege. There's earth on which I walk, that's a privilege. There is space which accommodates me, that's a privilege. Sun illumines everything for me and gives me energy, that's a privilege. The moon provides me the cooling effect and gives me nourishment by way of the, the, the sap in the vegetables, that's a privilege. So when we look at the life, we find that we are enjoying so many privileges. That we are born in a given family, that we were, this body was given to us, that, that we were raised and brought up and educated, etc. That's a privilege that we enjoy. <coughs> that this knowledge is available to us, it's a privilege that we enjoy. That many teachers and sages in the past and present also dedicated their life completely to the pursuit of knowledge and made this whole storehouse of knowledge available to us for us to freely draw from that and thus, that's the privilege that we are enjoying. Thus, many privileges we enjoy, and therefore, there are corresponding obligations. If you don't fulfill the obligations, definitely, we are the ones who have to pay the price. We may escape. It's quite possible that we may somehow avoid the obligatory duties by being clever or whatever it is. But then, we cannot really get away from the scheme the overall scheme of God in which it is necessary that whenever we enjoy privileges, we must necessarily repay in terms of our duty, in terms of our participation. So this is the principle behind what we call the daily and incidental obligatory duties. Nitya karma, daily obligatory duties. Naimitya karma, incidental obligatory duties. This is the principle. Then prayasitta. We will talk about it when we come to this, because author himself will talk about this. Prayasitta, the expiatory rights. It is recognized that a person always will commit some errors. In spite of our best intentions, we will wind up committing some errors. We will wind up violating something. Because we are not always alert, we are not always competent, and uh, we are not always in the best frame of our mind, and therefore, knowingly or unknowingly, we do violate. What do we do about it? Then, in order to neutralize the effect of the violations, there are what they call prayasitta karmas or expiatory rights. And specific rights are recommended for specific kinds of violations. If you have... So, that, that will be discussed also. Suppose you perform... You, there was some violation while performing ritual. Okay, do this in order to neutralize the effect. You hurt somebody, 
Okay, do a given thing to neutralize the effect. You ate something that you should not have been eating, okay, do this to neutralize that effect. And therefore, price chitta karma or expiated rights are also provided in order to uh, neutralize the negative effect that may have been created by violations. And upasana, upasana is worship or the mental worship of the Lord. <coughs> that also is required. Upasana means worship. So daily obligatory duties, incidental obligatory duties, expiatory rites, and upasana, meditations, and worship, all of these, this is the program that is given to us in order to purify our mind. <coughs> so by performance of all these actions, the one who has completely made the mind free from all the negativities or angularities or impurities, and therefore one who enjoys a pure heart, and therefore one who possesses, possesses the fourfold qualifications, and therefore one who has a desire to learn, he is a competent student to study Vedanta. <coughs> then, it is not only enough that we do what is necessary to be done, but we avoid certain things in our life also. So it is said, Kamya Nishiddha Varjana Purasaram. While we are performing our daily and incidental obligatory duties and whatnot, it is also necessary that we should avoid certain things. What should we avoid? Kamya Karma and Nishiddha Karma. What is Nishiddha Karma? What we call prohibited actions. Scriptures prohibit certain actions. Why does the scripture prohibit actions? Because those actions will be in violation to the prevailing harmony. They are the actions which in fact violate our own self. Self, whenever we perform an action that goes against the very nature of the self, then we are violating our own self. And therefore, the scriptures tell us, do not do certain things because you will violate your own self and you will violate the obtaining harmony. Therefore they say, Himsam na kuryat, do not hurt anybody. Suram na pived, may you not, you know, may you not drink alcohol and things like that. Well, particularly for Indian weather, you know, I mean, this may not be applicable everywhere. Because you must know that this vidhi and nisheda, the injunctions and prohibitions are all going to be peculiar to a particular place and time and society. So the vidhi and nisheda injunctions and prohibitions, which perhaps applied to that society at that time may not apply here elsewhere, but the spirit is applicable. That whatever is in keeping with our own nature, that is an action, proper action we perform, and whatever violates our own nature is an action to be avoided. <coughs> Since I don't want to be hurt by anybody else, it is only proper that I should not hurt anybody else, and therefore, himsam na kuryat, may you refrain from hurting anybody. Since I do not want that somebody should tell me lies or cheat me, therefore I also should not tell lies to somebody, I also should not cheat other people, therefore they say that avoid or refrain from telling lies, or refrain from cheating. Since I do not want that what belongs to me should be stolen by someone else, it is only proper that I should not steal something that belongs to someone else, and therefore it is all right. Don't steal. And so these are the things we are common to all the societies. So there are certain universal do's and don'ts, and there are certain particular do's and don'ts pertaining to a given society. But in every society, in every religion, every culture, there are what we call vidhi and nisheda. There are injunctions and prohibitions. So those things which are prohibited, 
we should deliberately refrain from them because otherwise we will violate and then we will wind up accumulating the same obstacles which we want to remove. <coughs> Second thing that should be avoided is kamya karma, desire prompted action. Here it is said that may you refrain from performing actions which are meant to fulfill or meant to achieve certain ends. So here a student who is who is preparing himself or herself for the study of Vedanta also deliberately avoids kamya karma or desire prompted actions. And we'll discuss why is it so. Because when an action is performed as prompted by the desire, it is going to pr- produce a certain result and the one who performed the action will have to experience that result. And that is how the chain of the cause and effect of the action and the result will be perpetuated and therefore likes and dislikes will be created. And therefore in order to remain free from the reactions of likes and dislikes, it's better that we don't perform actions which can produce dislikes and dislikes. So that's kamya karma. So stay away from those actions which are prohibited. Stay away from the actions which are likely to create reactions. So stay away from that and deliberately perform the duties which are daily, obligatory and worship. So by this program, one who has removed all the impurities from the mind and thus one who has acquired a pure mind and thus one who possesses the qualifications and therefore one in whom the desire to know has arisen, he is the competent student or qualified student for Vedanta. <coughs> but sometimes the question arises that it is not that we find everybody doing all these things and still we find people are qualified without having gone through all this program of performing so many actions for such a length of time, we find that people possess this kind of frame of mind even from childhood. So this question arises sometimes. Like Shankaracharya himself, and like many sages and saints we know, all the big ones, all the great ones, whether it's Jesus Christ or whoever, we find that right from birth themselves or from very early age, they already possessed a frame of mind and they did not have to go through performance of these duties and stuff like that. So if you say that all this performance is required to purify the mind, then how do we explain these cases? All these people who seem to be born with a pure mind. Now it is said, Asmin Janmani Janmantareva. All of these things may have been done in this life, Janmantareva, or in the previous life. Since we accept that life is, existence is continuous. That this is not the first embodiment that I have. That my life is nothing but a series of embodiments which have been assumed from the time beginningless. It's possible that. Therefore, it is not that we are what we are on account of just this one birth. We are what we are on account of the accumulated thing that we have done over all the past births. And therefore, this is a program that is stretching beyond many lives, beyond one life. Aneka janma samsiddha tato yadi paramgatim. Lord Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita that one attains the ultimate goal, aneka janma samsiddha, having accumulated the virtue, having accumulated the purification over number of lives, aneka janma samsiddha, attains perfection over a number of lives. So this is a program that stretches and each one of us should understand that whatever merits we possess today and whatever privileges we enjoy in terms of the opportunity to study the scriptures and whatever, 
because we are we earned that it is earned not perhaps only in this life but it is earned in course of many lives in the past therefore we find that different people possess different degree of purifications only because everyone has been working since many lives tasmin janmani janmantareva whether these these actions are performed purifactory actions are performed in this life or in the past life and that is how one gains the qualification and still we have to discuss the another expression vidivat adhita veda vedangatvena apadatha akhila adhigata akhila vedartha we'll we'll talk about that tomorrow so idea is in this life or the previous life one has gone through this discipline or this program of self improvement self purification in course of time one attains a mind that is free from impurities mind that is pure in which those qualifications manifest themselves and when the mind is enjoys a disposition even that keen desire to know also arises and thus one becomes a competent student to study vedanta <coughs>